0: table i'm your host josh turner they call me wolf my friends call me wolf but you can call me mr turner and with me today is anthony and tony Y'all want to say hi hello everybody how you guys doing tonight um good day good evening good night whenever you're listening to this whatever time it is you're yeah and so we we talked a little bit about this episode and on friday on the live stream which was this past friday that was with jody cook and so this is sort of a continuation but it, it's something that we've been planning for a while, which is why I brought Jody on uh, to open it up on Friday. So uh, we really didn't talk much about it on Sunday. We had so many other stories to talk about. I think on Sunday uh, we talked about what the story from Delaware Yeah, I think so. um, and Connecticut. There was a dog man story, a literal dog man looking creature. And then we talked about this is on the live stream on Sundays, folks. So if you're listening to us on just Spotify or whatever, uh, Apple or whatever you you know that's fine. Listen to us there, but we you're missing out on the live stream. So we we told a, a, a several encounters on that uh, Sunday show. One was a flying man from Indiana. I, it's a very weird story. Um, I really enjoyed listening to that story when it was being told to me, but, uh, it is a very fascinating one. So go check that out, you know, so you don't miss out. And, um, there was also a, I guess, a mer, mer creature story. I don't know if it was a merman or mermaid. Yeah. Uh, you know, but anyway, these dreams, they kind of blend together. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight the dreams and how they interact with the, the real world. So, before that is done, though, let's discuss the Patreon. We have a $10 through $50 tier. Each tier gives you a better swag bag, is what we call it. Um, and the, the final tier, each tier gives you an autographed book, but the final tier gives you both of my autographed books and an autographed book from another author. There's a $40 tier that's right below that. You get one of my books and one, one from another author. And the $30 tier is just two books from uh, another author. 10 and 20 are are... Uh, pretty much the same, except you get a little more swag on the 20 and you get uh, an autograph book. That being said, we do have the zip up hoodies. Those are right now, well, those are not uh, giveaways or just going to be for sale in the store. They're selling pretty well. People like those uh, hoodies, zip up hoodies. We don't have a lot of them in stock for us to give away. But we will eventually, we don't know when that will be, that we will be releasing those as giveaways. So in the meantime, if you want one, you pretty much have to get it at the store. But buying one is a good way to support the show. Another good way to support the show is to go to the Patreon and donate, or you can do it through a super chat. Now, YouTube does take part of the profit on that. Um, But anything you do and give to help the show is greatly appreciated and it keeps it going. Uh, we do do four shows a week. We do this one on Tuesday. We have the Thursday show, which is interviewing someone. And then Friday is the, we bring on a guest and it's a discussion we have. And then Sunday, it is just retelling of people's encounters and that's on the live stream. It's all on YouTube, but this particular show and, and the Thursday show are on YouTube and on the different platforms. You will not get the live streams. That is only a YouTube exclusive. Um, Soon to possibly be Rumble, too. Yeah. We'll be on Rumble with those. So you'll have to go to Rumble or YouTube to get those. Uh, So we hope you check us out and uh, and join the Paranormal Roundtable family, see what all the fuss is about. Somebody told me, they're like, what is all the fuss about? I don't get the big deal. I'm like, well, once you start listening, maybe
1: you will. Yeah. I don't know if they did. I think they just went the other way and left, but... (laughs) I mean, how are you going to get the big deal of something if if you don't even like try to see what it is? Yeah, I mean, the conferences have been a hit. Uh, the books
0: have been a hit. Uh, the shows have been a hit. I don't know what else. What do they want? What else? What are we missing here? making a board, board game. game yeah the board game that's the last I'm thing I'm sure it'll be a win too I mean you know I don't want to sound like a braggart or arrogant or whatever but I mean we do our job <laughs> that's out everything you know, the board game Nelly hit it out of the park with I think yeah I think it's going to be good and so we just you know and also you're, you're, anything you, you help with or whatever is going to go toward getting that out too we're looking for sponsors and people who want to help fund it and if you can you can if you can't you can't nobody's going to hold it against you uh, we try to keep our show free, so we do depend on people to donate and help out. Uh, we don't hide our, our stories behind a paywall. We don't do that. We we, we told ourselves at the very beginning we weren't going to do that, and we've kept our commitment. Um, we keep it free. We don't tell you part of the story and go, oh, if you want the conclusion, you better go sign up for something or other. No, we don't do that. But in order for it to continue to be free, we do ask people to... you know. Uh, give us like, give us likes and subscribe to the channel if you could. And that helps us on YouTube and, uh, just give us the views, you know? So, and tell your friends, tell everybody about it. Maybe buy us a, sh- a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a hat. It's a good way to help support it and, you know, show, show, uh, your support. We do, um, have a lot of hats in stock right now for us. So we're going to be doing giveaways on those, but, uh, so, folks, just be, be patient with us. We're trying to get everybody's stuff mailed out to them. It will get done. Don't worry. Uh, also, I, my uh, email address to get in touch with me is josh turner at, at prtpodcast.com, josh turner at prtpodcast.com. So, that being said, let's get started. Um, like I said, you know what, what happened on Friday was Jody Cook came on, he's from the NADP. Uh, He's been a friend of the show and of mine for a long time. He was at my first conference and he was ill during the second conference. Couldn't make it. Uh, And so he talked about dog man being extraterrestrial. Now, Jody and I, and I'll speak for him right now. I'll say this. We've talked a lot, you know, um, as uh, friends and colleagues and, you know, behind the scenes and we have gone over theories before. We've postulated on a lot of different theories. And one of the things that we both agree on, we don't say that they are extraterrestrial. It's just an interesting thought. And Jody pointed out, and having been a member of MUFON for a long time, Jody has, he came from a background of UFO research and field investigation. So, when he started working on the Bigfoot and phenomena He just took that same mindset, and then he did the same thing with uh, Dogman. I did not come from a UFO background. I did not come from any real one solid background. As everybody knows, I just saw a Dogman when I was 15 and just kind of went from there. Uh, And then I ended up on this guy's channel um, and just, you know, ended up doing my own show. I thought I would be perfectly content to just, you know, take my research to that particular person. But um, when I decided to start my own channel, that person was real quick to just kind of be like, well, see ya. Like, didn't want to promote me, didn't want to help me, didn't want to do anything. So that was pretty disheartening because I'd always thought that they were my friend. But I've learned over the years that in this field, people who really want to support you and help you are few and far between. And I have been blessed to be around some people who really have tried to and wanted to help me. And one of those is a researcher, Ken Gerhardt. And I'll say this about Ken. Me and Ken are very close friends. Barton Nunley, he's another one, very close friends. I don't want to get into naming everybody because there's too many people to name. But Ken did something that, that uh, opened my eyes. He said, you know, there's a lot of people in the UFO community who, who talk about you. And I was shocked. I didn't. I was. I didn't know that that many people knew who I was. So we went to a UFO conference, which is kind of outside of his wheelhouse. And of course, author Ryan Edwards is a good friend of mine. And I met Chris James, who watches the show, is a supporter of the show. He's an author and a UFO researcher. And they both kind of uh, are cryptozoologists, but they do like the UFO phenomena. And Daniel Jones, a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's one of Nick Redfern's best friends, and I got to know him. And, and Christopher Jordan, he's another one who lives in Austin, lives right there by us. And these are all people who are into the UFO phenomena. So I guess my association with them, when I went to this conference in San Antonio um, the summer before this past summer, I, I I was approached by by multiple people, several people, and interviewed by them right there on the spot. And a few of them I was really surprised at, at, at Ken was right there are people who know who I am in the UFO community and I think it's because of my penchant for picking up stories about alien abduction and that came when Barton and I did the and he talked about that on his live stream um as of the, this recording probably would have been last Wednesday wouldn't it yeah. with Joe Barger uh-huh yeah so on Joe, Joe Barger when he was when he was on the show and they talked about um, you know, Barton talked briefly about how him and I had done this Bigfoot project where we interviewed a bunch of people and most of the people had been alien abductees, which was, which was quite unusual. And then the person that did my uh, artwork, Sybilla for the books, which you could pick up on Amazon werewolves and the Dogman phenomena, Bigfoot and the Bigfoot phenomena and Sybilla did the artwork for both. Now the, the Bigfoot picture is Charles Hamill's encounter of a Bigfoot by a dam in Oklahoma and the werewolf picture is actually a picture of Joe Bargers but it looks like what i saw it looks really like what i saw with my friend daniel and as synchronicities and all that one of these stories will involve something that his brother saw uh years ago but we're going to get to that in a minute so i'm giving you this backstory here so just be patient so you know where i'm coming from uh I told Barton at that point, which was year before last, I said, you know, we need it we need to and it was right after we interviewed Jesus Payan, who is from Breaking Bad. Yeah. You know, he played Gonzo. And he's a really good friend of ours. And I said, you know, he was at our conference too. I said, we need to do a UAP project. Unidentified aero phenomena, or as I like to call it unidentified alien presence. Um I think it's important. So I approached Several people in the UFO community, not the least of which was Bart uh, James Bartley, and we went over the whole connection. We had a two-hour conversation on the phone. He's from Australia about reptilians and dogmen and what the connection there is. Then I had a, a, a subsequent conversation with with Nick Redfern, Christopher Jordan, Chris James on the show. Chris James, he came on, and Daniel Jones. We all went over this, and we talked about Dogman and. At UFOs, and even at our conference, we did a UAP panel. Now, I think that's important because I, th- there is a connection there. There is a connection between uh, these craft that we see, uh, that people see, these bl- glowing balls of light, uh, the inner earth, dog man, it's all connected. So, that's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight. And if we don't, we have so much material on this, it may spill over into next Tuesday too. It may just be next Tuesday... If we don't have enough to fill it, then we'll start. Half of the show will be about that, and then we'll 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 do the rest on a paranormal potluck. But I'm going to get started here, and this is going to be interesting. I have several accounts in front of me that I have gone over and over and over, and uh, I'm going to start like Linda Godfrey taught us, and she told you, Tony, when we talked to her on the show and off the air. Um, start in your own backyard, mm-hmm. right?
2: But it's so, no better yeah. place. huh? No better place to start anything. I mean.
0: Yeah. And and some of these accounts you guys have already heard before, but uh the the audience has not. So, but there's a couple that I'm going to throw at you that I found in my files or in our files that you probably didn't know because I dug them out. <laughs> and um they were mislabeled. One of them was labeled Raptor claws, <laughs> which I don't, uh-huh. I don't even know where that came from. Uh I think I was actually having a conversation with uh with uh, what's his face um uh, David Weatherly and I think we were talking about one of the cases that he was covering, and I just typed it in there, not you know, <laughs> because it came from the Devil's Backbone. So I'll start with that one. That one is is not in, it's in our, it's it's sort of in our backyard, but I'll start with this one just because it was so interesting. Now the Devil's Backbone is interesting. You guys know uh, David Weatherly is a good friend of the show, a good friend of ours, and he spent his 60th birthday at our house telling stories about the devil's back when I thought that was a really cool thing. And uh, we still get a a laugh out of the first interview we did because I talked so much that David just sat there falling asleep. And so he even says that in my book, you know, and, and, and that I think people have said to me, well, you really dropped the ball on that one. I said, even a great football team loses every now and then. You're not perfect. You make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes. Muhammad Ali lost too. I mean, yeah, everybody's, you know, and I'm not comparing myself to Muhammad Ali, but We here at PRT acknowledge that sometimes we don't always do, you know, put our best foot forward. Board. I was really excited for that interview, and I was really excited because his book about Alaska is in my top five of the books I've read. And I've read about a half a dozen of his uh, books about the states, and I've read about three of his other books. Um, black-eyed kids, everybody knows about the black-eyed kids, and he gets so sick of hearing about black-eyed kids. It's like Leonard Skinner, you know, play Freebird. or, You know, it's like yeah. well, we have other songs, uh, but. Talking to him about the UAP thing, he was excited about it, too, because he's like me. He's like an everyman, you know, jack-of-all-trades type guy, one-stop-shop, talks about it all. I know Ken Gerhardt, even though he's a cryptozoologist, I asked him about going to the UFO conference uh, in August of 2022, coming back from our conference that we did in Tennessee, which was highly successful. The next conference, folks, you got to make it. If you can't make it, you're going to be real sorry. Um, But... I said, what's the deal with this uh, going to this conference? He says, well, a lot of our friends and colleagues are there, and you you might be surprised that people may know you there, and they did. They did. And one of the stories that I covered there, we'll get into that one too, which come right outside of San Antonio. So, what we're going to do right now, we're going to start right in our own backyard. We're going to go to Devil's Backbone, go to San Antonio, come back over here to Central Texas, uh, and go over some stuff near Manor. You know, if anybody remembers, that's where Chief is, lives and is from, <clears throat> and he's been on the show, and we've talked about uh, Will Barger Bridge and, you know, the Goatman and all that, but there's some weird stuff, man, some weird stuff in between there and Taylor, UFO reports and Dogman, and and it's all connected. So, let's go to the Devil's Backbone. Now, here, here's where what I'm going to tell you. I've, we've talked about the Devil's Backbone. We've done, like, I think a three-part show. Yeah, at the very beginning. One of the first episodes. It was like mm-hmm. episode six or something like that way back. Um, so this was a story that was given to me years ago, uh, and I've just, I had it in a file and it just was labeled that. And I was looking through the files about the devil's back while I had just finished talking to, uh, David Weatherly. And then I had, I had got up on a call with Eric Palacios who has media palace and he did two documentary films so far. I think three actually, but two have been released, uh, the legend of Harry man road and the the beast of brushy Creek. Yeah. And so, we had decided that in the spring, uh, which is coming up in a few months, that we're going to uh, hit the road with David Weatherly and do a documentary. We don't know exactly how we're going to do it or what we're going to do, but we know that we're going to talk about the devil's backbone. That whole area out there is inundated with reports of all kinds of things. My brother and I did... We had a map of like Bigfoot and Dogman reports, and we used like the blue pushpins for Bigfoot and then the red ones for Dogman. And then we put the yellow for Ghosts and then black for Goatman. And then we, we, we're like, well, we have black dog reports too. So unfortunately, we, we didn't put pushpins on the map for that. We just decided to lump that in with Dogman. So then you get this spattering of reports around Purgatory Road by the cemetery, which would indicate that there were dogman reports there. But I think those are more along the lines of old Chuck, okay, that whole, like the black dog. And so going back over that from years ago, I was talking to my brother about five or six years ago was the last time I saw that. I don't know whatever happened to them. It got tore up. But we had just taken the pins out and just put like little marker spots on it and the map. We never redid the map. So, um, And that came from us going out there and having a what we believe was a ghost hitchhiker. And we've talked about that on the show. And so my brother got all enthused about it and was like, hey, I'm going to start you know, mapping that place out. And I went out there multiple times uh, on my own and with some other people. Um, I mean, I always had somebody with me, but typically, you know, he wasn't always with me. My brother wasn't always with me. But he went out there and explored three or four times too without me. And he came up with some pretty weird stuff. And one of the people that he went out there with Was a female UFO uh, enthusiast because y'all met his friend who used to work at a uh, smoke shop and he had a UFO encounter. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a a female friend that was like uh, mutual and she went out there with him and they found what I can only describe as like a fossilized raptor claw looking thing. And that's where the file came from, Raptor Claw. And I was like, but it really was not about that. <clears throat> she ended up with it because she found it, even though my brother tried to finagle it away from her. <laughs> he tried everything to try to – he even wanted me to trade one of my, my expensive baseball cards for it. And I was like, dude, I'm not doing that. What do I get out of it? Nothing. You know, I get to give you a fossilized Raptor Claw. And so as it turned out, it really was a fossil. She had it looked at by Texas State University apparently, and they said yes, this is a fossil. Well, the night that the the next night she went back out there because um, she was living like a, out in their New Braunfels, and I haven't seen her in a long time. She moved, she got married and like moved to Wisconsin or something because she likes to freeze. So she's out up there living with her her boyfriend, or her at the time it was her boyfriend now is her husband, and they went back out there the next night. Now here's what's interesting. And I got this report from, and y'all met him. You probably met uh, Jason or uh, Ronan. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So Ronan and, and my brother were telling me this story about this uh, UFO or whatever that his cousin had seen. And the story kind of trailed off. And it was me and Jerome. listening as an old friend of mine. And everybody from the show probably has heard his name. He used to live in the house with us. And Jerome was uh, enthralled by the UFO phenomenon, whatever. And he started... Talking about how these werewolves were probably aliens and blah, blah, blah. Well, these friend drops by with her boyfriend and they start telling us, dude, we had this weird night. We, you know, because we were talking about this stuff and we were getting ready to go to like an after party or, or whatever. And it was like two or three in the morning and it was like on a Thursday, but it was like a hol- the holidays, like that week after Christmas, you know,
1: oh, so yeah. there's nothing
0: going on. And so I had taken like a little bit of time off from the club. I was really burned out and it's really slow at that time of the year. So we were getting ready to go to a party and that was with your stepdad, Tony. And we were all there. And the next thing you know, two hours have passed and we didn't even go to the party. And there's about 20, 30 people at my house. So the party was really at my house. (laughs) And it was all just about werewolves, Bigfoot and aliens, really. And I remember this conversation because it – There was a lot of stuff that was talked about and kicked around, and it is one of the memories I have that helped jumpstart me to doing this because those kind of conversations can happen very easily. And you know, when I talk to any of my colleagues, it just seems like it just flows, and you guys have been a witness to it and been a part of it, and it happens very easily. It happens very organically. Oh, yeah. And when we were talking about these uh, incidents, what she talked about the the and we'll, we'll call her sarah what sarah and jeff talked about was they had gone out there the next night to see if they could uncover any other they didn't go at night they went there during the day but it got dark and as soon as nightfall came they see this ball of light kind of bouncing around and this was on the far end of the haunted valley and you guys have been out there you know where that's at mm-hmm. and there was a very famous you know, case of, of someone being supposedly possessed by the spirit of a wolf, and it was on like Unsolved Mysteries and stuff like that in the Haunted Valley. And so this ball of light was kind of bouncing around the treetops, but then it shot straight up into the air and right before their eyes. And it just looked like it broke apart into five pieces, and then they all just went in different directions up into the firmament, you know, up into the sky. Wow. And so they tell us this story – and we were like, "What else happened?" They were like, "Nothing. That's it. We left." <laughs> so it wasn't like there was anything <laughs> intriguing. It's anticlimactic. But one of the things that that happened as of, as recently uh, happened recently, and this is as of late, I had started talking to Jeff, her husband, and we kind of opened up a dialogue about six months ago because he caught wind of my show, and he says, "Hey, you know, remember me?" Blah blah blah. And at first, I didn't remember who he was, and he was like, "You know, I know Dee, I know Ron, and all these people." And I said, yeah, okay, I know, I I remember you. And we were all, you know, hanging out, whatever. And we were at at a party together, and you know, I said, oh yeah, I remember. The first time I met him was at Ronan's house down in South Austin, in Shaka. And there was like a band that our friend had a band, and um, and they were talking about UFOs, aliens, whatever. He said, well, I, I, he goes, I never told you, I never got to tell you this because we moved away and we never talked again. He's like, but. We had an encounter out there at Devil's Backbone with a creature, now, this, and this, this story was told to me, like I said, about six months ago, and it was just in that file under Raptor Claw. So, I, if you're looking at it, you're not going to know, hey, there's a dogman story there or that there's an alien story there at all, nothing. I mean, you're not going to figure out much yeah. from that. <laughs> so, you're not going to know much from that. So, so And I think I, I was just filing stuff away and I was looking for stuff, and but I put it under Devil's Backbone. And it was after I was looking for some stuff about the Bear Man for David Weatherly. So, you see how this all kind of runs together. And so, I was looking under those files under Devil's Backbone and I found that one. And I thought, what do I do with this one? So, I moved it out and I put it into Alien Dogman, which is just, I don't know what else to call these, you know, these encounters. But they were out there about two weeks, I mean, about two months later than like February, late February. And he said, you know, we, we, you couldn't camp it it's too cold because the devil's backbone gets a lot colder than it does here in Austin because it's in the hill country. And I'm not joking. I'm talking 10 degrees out there because it's in those arroyo canyons. And he said that we were out there and we were running around hiking. And he goes, and I'm pretty sure we ended up on private land, which is dangerous here in Texas. And he's like, I told her, I said, Sarah, we, we need to not get shot, you know, out here. And he said, no sooner had I spoke than this wolf-like, he says, I say wolf-like, he's like, it just, it looked like a damn werewolf you know running around on all fours and it was just sniffing the ground he goes and then it got right up you know about 30 feet from us and we were just staring at it in shock and he's like you know and i'm sitting there he's like i have my 45 on me she has a pistol too and and we just we took our firearms and we were holding them and this thing just lifted up its head when its head came up he's like the upper body came up and then we heard a pop pop and that's very you know you know. Very common. Yeah, very common. And and he says and then it stands up, it's about six and a half feet tall. It's a rangy looking animal. It's not super muscular. He's like, but I am staring at a werewolf, at least like, you know, thirty feet away from me, at least that's what I think it is. And he's like, Man, I, I need to tell Josh Turner, you know, or Wolf, you know. And he's like, and uh he's like, I had left a message on your answering machine and I said, back then, dude, in the late nineties. <laughs> There ain't no telling what happened to that message because ain't no yeah. telling who checked it. And so I told Jeff. I said, "There's no way that I would have. I mean, there's no way. I probably never got it. I was working all the time. I've always been a, a worker, and I just didn't have time. And and so I, you know, I told him. I said, "Well, we're talking now. You know, and this is back in like June or July. I think around my actually July around my birthday. And uh, he said, "Look, you know, we'll get in touch and we'll do a show together. And he's a very busy guy, and he owns an insurance company and all this stuff. So it's not." Doesn't, didn't have a lot of time, you know, or he did own insurance company and he said didn't have a lot of time and, and he was going to get back to me and he talked about trying to make it to the conference, but he didn't. So what he said was this thing just kind of like sniffed the air, stared at him, kind of opened its mouth a couple times, you know, opened and closed its mouth, growled and then was gone into the woods. And he tells Sarah, he's like, I think we just saw a freaking werewolf. And she was like, I think so. And this was literally almost the exact spot where they believed that the craft was, you know, when they saw it that day, because it was off in the distance, you know, and they said it was about 300 yards from where they were that day. They were at ground zero where that craft was. When they were going back to their vehicle, he goes, we get back to the rover. That's his vehicle. He calls it, you know, he goes, we get back to the Range Rover. We're getting ready to leave. He's like, and we see this ball of light. Come down from the sky, same exact spot, and break apart into these little pieces, and then it goes down into the ground. And I said, The exact same spot? He said, The exact same spot. He goes, We had gone back multiple times, had never had that happen. He's like, And then I realized without even knowing it, he goes, When I started to go, I went home and I analyzed the whole situation. He said that it was literally another literally, but this is this is real, not the millennial way of saying literally, and it's not. I literally died. No, you did not, because you're talking to me. Uh, and so, no, this was real, literal. He said it had been exactly 60 days from the time that we had seen that craft, and it was also at the same time of night. So... You exp- explain that and then you see a dog man you know and I've been wanting to tell this story for a while but I had did not have the file I had to go and find it and and it is also a weird synchronicity the way I found it just the, f- the way that I stumbled across it does doesn't even make sense because I was looking for something in the devil's backbone and it, it wasn't really about aliens and dogman now you may say, well this is these balls this light doesn't necessarily constitute UFOs but wait a minute. Sarah and Jeff did a lot of research out there, as did this guy Eric that Scorpion used to work with, and they both have done re had done research, amateur research. You know, I guess everybody's an amateur, but I mean, they're not. They don't even call themselves researchers. They're just curious people, and th- that's not their life. They're not cryptozoologists or ufologists, but they actually started to go out there quite frequently. Um, and of course, Scorpion's uh, friend Eric lived out there, and they all claimed to have seen UFOs at multiple different spots and on different occasions. In fact, Sarah and Jeff actually had a friend named Jay who claimed to have had a close encounter with grays, like a small troop of them, while he was deer hunting out in the Devil's Backbone. And he said that they were walking this, like, just he heard that there was brush. Something moving around, and he just, when they, when it came out of the brush to his right, he sees like seven of them walking along, just little, tiny little dudes, probably no, no taller than four foot. And they were just walking along, and one of them was holding like a stick looking thing, which he described as a metal wand. And it was the second guy, you know. And other than that, they were all just gray with the big eyes, you know. Um, they didn't even acknowledge him or look at him, and they just took off walking into the brush. Uh, about 10 minutes after that, He just sees this big uh, ball of light go up into the sky and then shoot off to the right going, which would have been, he would have been facing the south and it went off toward the west and it was gone. It zigzagged up into the heavens. Now, that story, Jay, which I'd never met him. He was friends with uh, my brother. My brother knew him. I had never met him up to that point. And I ended up meeting him and another guy named George at a, at a bar that my brother used to work at part-time that Arash used to own. And we were all there. And, of course, y'all know Brian. He's, he works with us. We were all there. We were talking. We were hanging out. And we started talking about aliens and, and abduction and things like that. And my brother mentioned that I had seen a werewolf-like creature, but I had never seen a UFO. And at that point, I had never seen a UFO or aliens or anything like that. And other than that weird dream I had. And so, I told him, I said, yeah, I saw this werewolf-looking creature. Well, this is where I met this guy named Keith, okay? Now, Keith, not to be confused with someone that we're going to talk about later in the show, Heath, those are two different people. Keith was literally, my brother used to call him Keith Richards Double because his name was Keith, and he did (laughs) kind of look kind of haggard. He was like a 56-year-old guy who looked like he was 90. Because he partied yeah.
1: like all the time, pickled himself.
0: Yeah, and he had a band downtown, and a lot of people know him. And he, he they would do like Rolling Stones cover, and people would always comment how he looked like Keith Richards, kind of like Keith Richards, you know. But he also kind of looked like Axl Rose, like when she turned into a grandma, yeah. right? <laughs> when he turned into a grandma.
1: For some reason, <laughs> being a musician is not good for your long term health. No, no you're standing. Yeah, rockstar yeah. life is very short. It's a good way to turn into a mummy.
0: Hmm. He says, you're not going to believe this. He goes, but I, when I was younger, he's like, I was like 14 or 15, you know. And of course, it's people cracking wise all the time. And, you know, Squid said something like, oh, you mean back when there was nothing but natives in the country? And, it was- <laughs> and He's <laughs> like, no, no, no. He goes, there were a few white families. I was one of them. And, um, on their Conestoga wagon. But now, so so Keith, and, and I'd, I'd known him for a few, I got to know him for, for over the years, a few years, and I knew him to be a very truthful person. He had retold that story. In fact, to your stepdad, Tony, and a few other people, he never changed in what he saw. And what he claimed he saw, and this, and this fits perfectly with this show, and it's a long time coming, but what he said that night in that bar was very interesting. He said that years ago when he was a kid, and he lived on a farm outside of Georgetown, and he said that, I mean, this was way back in the day, you know. Uh, So, it would have been like in the 60s, I believe. And and he walks outside and he sees this pulsating, glowing ball of light land in their pasture, which the fence to the pasture wasn't but about 50 yards from his bedroom window. And like a lot of people here in Central Texas, they had a farm-ranch hybrid type thing. And so, he goes out and he goes to investigate with his younger brother, and his brother was like, goes to the porch and says, I'm not going any further. There's something going on. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to know what it is. I'm scared, whatever. So he tells his brother, he calls his brother a sissy. His brother says, I don't care what you call me. You're not going to go me into going out there. Something's off about this, you know? And he's like, it's right there. We can just go explore, see what it is. He said it was like a silver craft that was octagonal in shape. And it had like red lights all around the outside of it, like they were like positioned, you know, about three feet apart. And it was a very large craft about twenty five foot um around. And he said that he hears this grunting noise coming from this maze field that was right next to the to the craft. And he said that there were some animals there, you know, some cows, and that they were all bunched up into one corner mooing real loud. And he sees these two what can only be described as dog headed entities. And they came walking on their hind legs and he says I'm sitting here staring at these creatures. He's like the only thing that keeps me from calling them werewolves is that they walked right up to this craft. One of them is holding like what looks like a floating panel right right above his hand with this weird looking clawed hand. The other hand, the fingernail was poking the numbers on it or or buttons on it. And then this door opens. And there's like, he's like, dude, it's literally, it was like a movie. Like literally, he goes, when it opened, there was like some steam or something that came off the bottom and it looked like it was like, or it sounded like it was making a robotic noise. And these two dog headed people, creatures, whatever, he called them people. I don't, wouldn't call them people. Um, but they walked into the craft and when he stood there watching them, a third came up to his left and seemed startled to see him standing there, and then it's it made this like kind of a yelping, barking noise toward the other two entities. They came out of the craft and they all saw him. the The thing about these creatures, though, was that when he looked down, they were wearing some sort of like uh, thing on their feet, which I have never heard of being described, almost like horseshoe looking uh, apparatuses, like metal on the bottoms of their feet. And they had these straps around their ankles, and I don't know why that was. And then they had these weird, like, uh, metal hinge-looking, like, sort of like exo-armor, like, all around their bodies. But, you know, it didn't – it wasn't like it was there to protect their body. It just looked like they were, like – they were, like, metal hinges or joints, and it was, like, this brace on their backs, too. functionality or something. Yeah, like, it keeps them – like, he he thought maybe the – These things, it looked like these braces or whatever were kind of keeping their backs upright, you know, Um, because he said, you know, if you ever seen a a person in school, they were kids that had. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he said it looked like spinal braces that they were wearing, which was weird, you know, and he didn't know why. And one of them had on like what looked like goggles, like some sort of goggles that were red and it took them off and they all approached him and he backed off and went, you know, up to the porch They all three came to the porch and there was one in the middle and they were not hostile. They did not approach him in any sort of uh, way, whatever. Um, But the the lead one in the middle came up to him, the large, the tall one, he said was about maybe seven to eight foot tall. And he said it towered over me and it talked to him and it said, you didn't see us here. Do you understand? And he says, yes, I get it. And I'm not going to talk about it. And he said for years and years, him and his brother Jeremy never talked about it. They never said anything about it. And they were like, we're not going to discuss it. That's it, you know. Their dad was a World War II vet. He was not interested in hearing stories of aliens and werewolves and whatever. He said he was foolish enough to say something about it at the breakfast table. And his grandmother was listening. And his grandmother, who after the hearing the story... She was open to the idea because later on she approached him even though his dad chastised him and says, we're not going to talk about this foolishness, you know, whatever. So his grandmother, they went to town that day and his grandmother would would sell eggs, uh, for, uh, farm fresh eggs. She would trade them for, you know, other things that they needed. And so they went to what they would call, they called the dry goods store there. And so... His grandmother says, Look, I've seen these creatures too, and they've been coming to this area for a long time. She's like, Now, I've never seen them come out of a spaceship. She's like, But I've seen these creatures. Now, having questioned this guy multiple times and, and having tried to talk to him into coming on the show and thinking we were going to have, you know, which happens all the time. Like, we ultimately just end up telling the people stories because trying to coordinate people to come on the show sometimes is like pulling teeth. Yeah. And you can try to get them to, and then they get, and then, Keith passed away uh, two years ago. So, um, you know, there's nothing I can do now. He's, he's gone. but um, <clears throat> And he wasn't even living in Texas anymore. He had moved out west. And he had some, some issues uh, with his lungs because he smoked home-rolled cigarettes as long as I ever knew him. And honestly, I was surprised that he lived as long as he did. But as long as I knew this guy, which goes all the way back to the, like, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. I can't remember when I met him exactly. But he had never wavered in that story. And at least a dozen of us all together have heard that story before. And I'd always held out hope, you know. So, I decided, you know what, eventually I'm going to do just a full-on exploration of the Dogman phenomena with uh, the aliens. Now, we've done Celestial Bigfoot. That's an episode we did. So, go and check that out. And it's like the connection between Bigfoot being extraterrestrial but this isn't the only story we've gotten about these dogmen. And I was really tempted to spit this one out on Friday, but I was like, you know what? I bit my tongue and I decided to, to talk about it on this one. So you're getting this one on this Tuesday. I've held this one in my back pocket for a long time. And when I dug into this story, it goes further than just that particular encounter. What ended up happening with Keith, he saw the dogman on two other occasions. Um, Oddly enough, he doesn't think that these are the same creatures. Like, he, they weren't the exact same creatures, maybe from the same place, but they were. They moved differently. They didn't have the metal rods on their arms and legs and their weird horseshoe things on their feet. Um, they didn't come from a craft. They were just roaming around wild. One of them was when he was turkey hunting out near Bertram years ago, and I thought that was interesting because my dad's mother's family, their ancestral home, is near Bertram and he was out there. He said, I was turkey hunting. And I and we, of course, covered an account. Uh, I think it was on DER or maybe on this show of a, a guy named Rocky who had gone out there and actually had a really uh, scary uh, encounter with something. And so he, he, which was a dog man type creature, and he, he was out there hunting with his friend. And I don't remember what he said his friend's name was, but they see this thing crawling down backwards out of a tree and he said there was something up in the tree and we couldn't make out what it was and he thought it might have been a cougar because it made a, 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 a noise like a hissing roaring noise you know how they make and he said that whatever it was was up there and it, it this werewolf looking creature had it treed and then it got down on all fours and it walked around and around the tree and he said this was like back in 1978 and he's like and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this thing through you know the scope and I and he goes and I know that this thing is it, it you know it's got whatever that is treed and he goes it turns and it looks dead at me he's like and I know it sees me it's right at dusk it's not even dark yet he's like and this thing started to like just stare and then it got down and began to low crawl towards us at that point we both ducked down and we just sat there praying that this thing wouldn't come at us and he goes and I told my friend he goes I saw one of these when I was a kid I saw three of them, and it looked just like that. But this thing was more feral looking. He believed that maybe from the same species, but not the same creatures. the 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 third and final time he saw it was in 1996, and he was driving back from a concert with his wife from Waco, and they were coming down 35, and they had just gone uh, on, on. They had just gotten on the on ramp of 35 right outside of Waco. They had stopped at a gas station. And there was a vehicle that was going way too fast and almost hit them. And then there was another vehicle that was behind them that was going really, really fast. And then right in between that, those two vehicles, this creature darts out in front of everybody and then literally jumps over the top of their car and then goes off the road onto the frontage road and then into the woods. And he was like, what the heck? And it was, he goes, these cars were going super fast. I mean, really fast, you know, and they were like, like, like they were playing games or something, you know? Yeah. And he said, and I said, how fast? He was probably 80 miles an hour. He said, so this creature that managed to run in between these cars and then jump over the hood of ours and then go out into the woods. And he said that those cars didn't even slow down or stop. They just kept going and nobody even like was, didn't seem, you know, like, like they even saw us. Like, they didn't even see it. So, that made me question him and ask him, I said, Keith, do you think that this could have been, I don't know, like maybe, you know, like you having encountered those creatures when you were a child, do you think maybe that it lent lent to you seeing these creatures? Like, maybe other people would not have seen them if they hadn't had those encounters. And he believes wholeheartedly, of course, because of what he saw that their origin is extraterrestrial. So, I asked him about that, you know, one night when we were at downtown and he was in our bar and I said, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this, on these creatures being, you know, from another planet you know, as opposed to inner earth? And He goes, oh, no, I think that they're from another planet. He's like, if they're from inner earth, they're still, they're piloting spaceships because I know what I saw when I was a kid. And I asked him many times, you know, over the years, you know, because we compared notes, if he what he thought about my encounter. And I told him the legends and the stories or whatever, the origins. But he was convinced because of what happened to him when he was a, a, a young boy that these things were – they were from space, you know. No, I asked him this too. I said, do you think that they their craft can bend space and time, you know, to come from another star system or – Whatever it is that you think, you know, and he's like, he's like, I don't know, but I do know this. He's like, the the first three that I ever saw um, were from a craft. And he's like, because I saw them going in and out of it. And he never changed his story. And I even tried to trip him up a couple of times and he never changed his story. And he also was very adamant that what I saw was the same thing, the same species. And he believes that Central Texas is inundated with these uh strange craft and then whenever he sees a ufo he he believes that it's uh, there's a chance that it could be inhabited by creatures that look like werewolves now i talked to him about other species of aliens and he believes yes that there are other species he, he you know one of the things we talked about too on the show we we do have people who get abducted and they'll see these like dogman looking creatures kind of lurking in the background but they're never really the abductors like, you don't really hear about the dogman going into people's houses and grabbing them or, or taking them aboard a craft or like, hey, come on, you know, we're going for a ride. You know, that just doesn't happen. seem more um, like enforcers. Yeah, they're kind of like enforcers. And so, <clears throat> I asked him about that and he said, he doesn't think that they're evil Like he or he didn't. Um, now, once he moved out west, he did encounter um, a person that lived on a reservation and that told him, no, these things are not cool. They're not aliens. They're skinwalkers. They're people that can transform, whatever, and they're tricking you. Uh, He delved into that quite a bit, but he just, with that particular friend, he agreed to disagree. And I believe the last time I saw him was probably, man, it's probably been a decade and I saw him in person, and he just happened to be uh, in our ashes club, you know, whatever. And we talked and we, you know, we, and of course I asked him about his encounter in front of some people and he didn't miss a beat. He talked about those encounters like he had. He did have a really interesting dream where he really believes it's a dream, but we'll let you be the judge because as we know here at Paranormal Roundtable, dreams can mean a lot more than just what you think, like, oh, it's just a dream. Uh, the dream involved like him actually talking to and and basically having conversations with these little brown dwarf-looking creatures. And they ended up walking outside, going toward a ball of light that looked like an egg. And then one of these dogman creatures that he had met once before, you know, it was one of the three, not the the main one, but a smaller one who he believed was a female. And it came to him and it, and it addressed him by his name and said that she remembered him way back, you know, whenever. And he woke up and it was just like, whoa. And his girlfriend at the time, um who became his wife, who died tragically. And and I think it really adversely affected him. Um, But he was having a recurring dream also of this being that was coming to him and had given him some knowledge about the girl that he was with and that she was going to die and told him that she was going to pass away in a car accident. Didn't give him the exact date, you know, nothing like that, but said in the next two years right before it happened. So that gave him a lot of, you know, uh, anxiety, and he was having these weird dreams. And around that time is when he was having the dream of these two brown dwarf-looking creatures, and it, it kind of was reminiscent of what Whitley Strieber talks about in his book Communion. And I, I know people who know Whitley. I, I don't know him personally, but I know people who know him. And of course, you know, he, he was a good friend of Art Bell's, and. Very famous case, you know, of him talking to these creatures, and it wasn't lost on me that he had dreamed about them. And when I had mentioned that about the book Communion, he was like, "Yeah, I read like the first chapter, and I couldn't really." So I I knew he wasn't getting that from that book. This is something that really happened to him. Um, But he always just took it as a dream. And I was sitting there telling him one day when we were talking to him with me, my brother with D, and we were like, D was like, "Well, yeah, but dreams oftentimes mean more than you know, whatever." But he didn't think it was. He just thinks it was a uh, hyper anxiety, you know, because he had this girlfriend. And sure enough, she did pass away. Um, the following winter, uh, she was coming home uh, from her parents and she fell asleep and she got into a head-on collision. And that being that looked sort of like an angel to him, it was like a blonde-haired being, about eight, nine foot tall, um, was showing up in his dream and just telling him that, you know, and he also attributes that to because of what, of his first encounter with those three beings. Now, here's what, is, what happened to his brother. His brother moved into a house, or I'm sorry, an apartment, and he began to have visions and dreams when he was like in his late teens, early 20s, and he went through a massive amount of therapy because of what he saw, and he never could come to terms with it being real his brother always described the encounters that, that they the encounter that they had with those three dogmen as being a hallucination or it was something more like a like a, they were sleepwalking or something he just came up with all kinds of explanations and I've never met his brother but from what he told me his brother was very hard-headed about it did not and refused to accept that this could be you know what it was which was an encounter with three beings that were dog-headed from a spaceship. He did not want to accept that, and he would not accept that. So he ended up checking himself into psychiatric facilities and trying to get help, but he had an ability that came from that encounter, which I think is what happened. I don't know if Keith would agree, but he thinks that his brother had gained an ability like he did, Um, or I think his, I'm sorry, I think his brother gained an ability like he did, which is what we call second sight. And his brother was able to see this uh, spirit that lived in this apartment where he had moved into because there was a spirit there that had been murdered. I say spirit because it was, that's what we are. We're spirits. But its physical body was taken from it. And she was trying to contact him and he could see her like it was a flesh and blood being. So one night she appears to him at the foot of his bed and standing next to her was this oversized, black, shaggy, wolf-like creature on all fours that kind of bent itself back upwards, sat on its hind legs, and it had arms, and it crossed him over its, over its knee. Kind of like it was taking a knee, you know? Like, yeah. And he's like, he sits up, and, and so he sees it, and she's talking to him, trying to get his attention. But what really got his attention was this wolf-like creature, which Jeremy described as being the spinning image of one of those beings that he refused to believe. Of course, there again, he was in complete denial and, and, and his mind was just utterly not going to accept it. And of course, he tells Keith, no, this is just a dream. It's just a dream. And if you keep telling yourself something enough, I guess you believe it. So at that point, I don't know what else may have happened to, or didn't happen to him. That's all I know about what happened to him. I am of the opinion that more went on. There had to have been more. That's just what Keith told all of us um, on various occasions about his brother having this. We sat there in my house um, having a big powwow and talking about all this one night. And he told us the whole story and stuff that happened to his brother. It was very interesting. And I talked about my encounter. And we talked about the thing that my brother saw in the mirror one time. And it was just a really long conversation, and I really, you know, tried back in 2019. I started the show, and I had managed. D got in touch with him, and he was like, "Hey, you know, we're going to get him to come on the show." We never did coordinate it. Uh, I believe he talked to Armando too, and then he just it just never happened. But uh, there's that's his encounters and what happened to him. So, you guys' thoughts, opinions.
2: I was going to say like, it's a hard one to kind of understand because we've had stories in the past of like dog men approaching crafts and then we used to assume that like you know it was a situation where the dog man is like like some kind of pet or something but it, it's weird hearing it from the other end where like they might be the ones that are actually the ones you know in charge or actually have like a some kind of system out there that they, they hail from it's kind of bizarre to me
0: And the fact that he kept having repeat encounters like that, you know. Could be because he was able to see them. Yeah. You know, like, what if that was just, like, a spiritual creature that ran between the cars?
2: Yeah, what if that was, I was thinking, like, what if that was, like, the inner workings, like, from behind of, like, how, how they do some of the things they do, and he just, like, has a way to, he just was able to encounter that. And it might be, like, you know, they are the same ones as the ones we see, it's just like that was like some of the technology that, you know, we normally don't witness. Or did like they try to like stray from that on this planet? And like this, if we pretend that this is like some kind of prison planet and they don't have any of that technology or anything that they, you know, have in their own system here and they try their best to keep it just bare, you know, and suddenly encountering that kind of stuff this is just bizarre and it makes me like really. Sit there and think, like, okay, what exactly are these things? And like, is this, is it the same case with these Bigfoot? Do they also have, you know, certain ones that are in a craft and like, you know, have like some kind of system out there as well that they hail from? And, and same goes for these rakes. Is like, are they actually from the inner Earth? And is it possible for, you know, a lot of these creatures? Like, is it possible for any
1: of them to hail from Earth? Your thoughts? Well, when it comes to these uh, space werewolves, whatever they were, um, I'm really intrigued because it it presents the idea that these cryptids are a a specific species, but a species that kind of run a spectrum of mental and technological advancement. And if we compare them to the human species, you know, we have human beings who, who are astrophysicists, And then on our same planet and within our same species, we have human beings who are primitive tribal hunter gatherers still deep in the wilderness of South uh, South America and and African countries. So the fact that like some of these encounters are like feral werewolf type creatures. And then this guy's encounter is, is like an advanced race of these same, similar creatures, the same thing. It presents a lot of questions and the fact that he was able to see to see them afterwards when seemingly no one else could when he was driving down the highway, that reminds me of of an idea or like a theory that I read that the reality we perceive is that which we're conditioned to believe is true. So we don't see with our eyes, we see with our mind. The eyes just intake visual information and it's up to the brain to turn that into an image. But... But the image that the brain creates from that visual information is highly dependent on what we're conditioned to believe is real, is reality. So the fact that he saw these things when he was a kid probably conditioned his mind to know like this is a part of our reality when most people never would have ever seen that. And so that's probably why he could see it later on.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, it speaks to something I've said before that maybe, you know, it's not them doing anything to to make themselves be seen more. It might just be that when you encounter one, that awakens something inside you where you're like, okay, I can see these things now because it's, it's, it's like, you know, let there be light one day. It's like suddenly being blind and someone giving you
1: those glasses that let you see color or whatever. Yeah, because I think that we all live in an agreed upon reality. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, we all perceive it the same way but every now and then something will slip through the cracks that people are not supposed to are not supposed to see because it's not part of the collective of the collectively agreed upon reality or like a part of the collective consciousness i guess and there are things that you know like these like these werewolves that are not supposed to be seen they're not we're not supposed to be agreeing that these are real I think that they're still there. Like all these things that people see, paranormal cryptid phenomena, I think that they're always there. Like they're still there, but we're just not supposed to see them. But but the, more, but the more people share their encounters, the more people come forward and publicly say that this is what they saw, this is what they encountered, the more perceivable it starts to be for the average person. Because you're putting that information out there into the collective consciousness and changing the agreed upon reality.
2: That might be why more people aren't, how many uh, encounters have been going up.
0: Well, and then the first story that we, we talked about, you know, was with Sarah and Jeff. Like, they saw what looked like a werewolf. I mean, but it wasn't, you know, doing anything remotely alien-like or it wasn't like there was. Yeah, it was just kind of existed. But there, but there was this, I mean, that weird ball that, that came out of the sky and, well, I don't want to say it was a ball because I believe they described it as cylindrical, but it came down and then it shot into five different pieces and it did it twice, 60 days apart, exact same time.
2: It it makes sense if, you know, going by the the later stories for the former to make sense because if you did have, you know, just random feral dogmen running around and then you have these higher species, they're obviously gonna come and check in on these these just feral ones, and make sure that things are not going crazy. So maybe maybe they left them here. That's what I'm saying. Like they would they would have some contact. They may not be like you know like best friends or they may not come and you know uh, help them out at all, but they would at least come and check them out. And that kind of seems like a surveillance thing to me the way it zooms around and it just bursts apart like that and mm-hmm. goes in five different directions mm-hmm. is like it was scanning the area. So, I mean, that, that's... If I had to take a guess... think of it
0: like that. Yeah. Down because you go for
2: a wide area like that when you do that.
0: There's so many things that don't make sense, too. And, like, why the the weird braces and the exoskeleton type thing that Keith and Jeremy saw when they were children, you know, with these creatures. No. What were they doing with that? And what was that... Like what is that? Why is that? There's so many questions I have. And then his grandmother and I didn't get into that, but uh, we'll start off next Tuesday, folks. It's all the time we have for tonight. And but uh, remember tune in next Tuesday and we'll start off with what his grandmother saw because she had a dog man encounter when she was young and she also saw a UFO, but not together, but you know, she did she did have those encounters. And we'll talk a little bit about their house, what he told me about their house that they grew up in, the farmhouse. Um, and then, you know, we'll get into some other encounters. I have, like I said, several others that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Sorry, the intro is a little long winded, but I had to give you the background and the base. And then I will talk to talk to you next Tuesday also about a person that that I talked to at that UFO conference, which is another story because we've been waiting to talk about this subject. It's been a long time coming and we were holding it for the UAP, which I guess this will be the opening salvo for that. We're going to start doing the UAP projects coming up pretty soon. And, uh, I believe we're going to start off with someone that you guys have heard on the show before that will be as of this recording, it will be probably two Thursdays from this Thursday and he will be coming on and talking about, um, AI and ultra-terrestrials and whatever and blah 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 and then for the next several Thursdays we'll be doing UAP interviews which is the project we've been talking about and it'll it'll run hand in hand with this and of course Jody Cook kicked it off on Friday so tune in to Paranormal Roundtable because things are going to get weird. Well they already are I guess. Anyways thank you for tuning in and good night.